Hello, I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Male Plus. I am joined this week, as every week, by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones. Coming up on today's show, the new scientist calls her the Queen of Consciousness, but some might say she's just taken too many trips. We talk to Lady Amanda Fielding about her lifetime's journey into experimental psychology. Strictly love it or loathe it, I am afraid I'm the latter, but millions of fans tell me I'm wrong. We'll hear from a super strictly super fan who's going to try to convince me that the show is fabulous. And we'll talk to historian Bethany Hughes about her fascinating new history series, Treasures of the World. And finally, our resident astrologer, Teresa Chung, tells us what's in store for Prince Andrew. But first, Imogen, have you finished ordering donuts? <laughs> I should tell you listeners that Imogen has been very grumpy this morning because it's her son's birthday and she's been trying to order donuts on Deliveroo. Oh, and it's so boring. It's sort of... I I, technology is just, it's just it's enough technology to Technology supposed to make things easier, but actually it makes everything just an awful lot harder. Yes, very sweaty. Because you forgot your password and then, you know, and also she's trying to order donuts for delivery in Oxford <laughs> and we're in London. So really that is quite hard work. In the olden days, you would have just rung the shop and said, hello, can you please deliver some donuts? They don't answer the phone though, obviously. No, they don't because, no. because obviously computer says no. Yes. So anyway, have you ordered the donuts? I have, yes, done. Thank God. Excellent. So how's your week been apart from the donuts? <laughs> Very good. I've been enjoying Boris speaking of Franglais. Oh, yes. Yes, which is like... And that's not going to annoy those French at all, <laughs> is it? No. No. I no mean... And also because relations are so good with them. We, we You know, it's fine. We don't need to... We, I mean, donnez-moi and break. Donnez-moi and break. And what was the other one? Prenez and grip. Brilliant. As in, get a grip. It was slightly sort of like talking to some sort of old, slowny teenager. Yes, yes. Hey, you're like, donnez-moi and break, man. It's like... <laughs> I know, but the French are so cross with us at the moment. I think he's doing it on purpose. Do you I think? quite like that. Do you think? And I really enjoyed the Prince Philip documentary last oh, yes. night. Did you? I watched that. Our very own Robert Hardman was the person yes. who got all the people together. But I'm the incredible access. I know. It was really quite moving, actually. It was. It was. I also, all I kept on thinking was, Christ, he was quite sexy. Very. That's all I kept on thinking. Very. Oh, yeah, I'd have yes. a go on that. Well, I went round to Robert's house to watch it with him and and some friends, and all the girls were just drooling over him yeah. when he was young. He was very attractive. Very attractive and quite sort of sportif. Yeah. And what's interesting is that Zara Phillips seems to have inherited his sort of sexual charisma. She was also very yes, attractive. Yes, actually, those two look rather yeah. rather nice together, they did. aren't they? And also, I thought Princess Anne is hot to trot. Yes. She was always hot to trot. And I loved what she was wearing. She was by far the best dressed of them all. She was Most wearing a sort stylish. of little sort of denim jacket. Yes. With a sort of rather chic little scarf. Yes. The only thing is, when you did see Prince Andrew, your buttocks slightly did clench. They did, yes. Just think, oh. I thought it was so sweet when Beatrice slightly started to cry at the yes, end. Yes, yes. Yeah. But what was very interesting was, I know it was filmed over a, a long period of time, there was a lots of sort of problems with the tenses. Mm. There was lots of people going, he is, and then, then was, and he is, yeah. and then Yeah, well, the thing is, Robert said initially that they said no to the whole thing. Yeah. It was his idea. He said he, he approached the palace and said, look, you know, he's going to be 100, should we do a thing? Mm. And they initially very politely declined, but then they made it clear that actually they would not block it. So, right. then, so then they went around getting about getting on. But, for example, he did all the interviews, but he didn't interview Harry or William. Right. So it was all a bit sort of, you know, lots of different, as you say, it all happened in different moments and different times because they're quite difficult to get together that lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. I did love the barbecuing stuff. Yes, so did I, yes. <laughs> and that very, very beautiful photograph of Princess Anne with all her boofy hair yeah. looking quite glamorous yeah. with some tongs. <laughs> well, um, it was rather sweet and moving and I, yeah, and I, I agree. rather enjoyed it. Update on the donut. 
How is how's it going, Imogen? Very well. They're now at the lodge. That's good. Very good. So we have donuts. Donuts are, are donuts, donuts are, are a go go. go. That's donuts quite go. that's quite quick, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. So. I probably left over um, from last week. So this person who we're going to talk to next, mm. it was your idea, Imogen Edwards Jones. <laughs> Do you remember? Yes. Yes. So this is Lady Weems who drilled the hole in her head at the age of twenty-seven. Yes, trepanning. Trepanning, and has spent a lifetime experimenting with psychedelic drugs. Mm. Anyway, she's now founded a non-for-profit foundation to research the benefits of microdosing psychedelic drugs. It's yes. not up my street at all. No, it's not really up mine, but it's actually fascinating. quite... It's fascinating. And apparently they're a very, very, very good way of uh, healing depression. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk to her and see what it is that, that she's doing. She's also raised a huge amount of money. Yeah. 58 million. That's quite a lot of Lula. It is. Lula. Lula, Lula. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be joined by Lady Weems now. Hi, Amanda. Hello. So we were we were fascinated. We read about you in our, obviously in the Daily Mail, mm. and and we wanted to get you on the show just to have a chat with you about what you're doing um, and about Certainly. your experience because you've spent your entire life doing this. It seems to us. Well, yes. Ever since I was a kind of twenty two, twenty three, that sort of time, mm-hmm. and I'm now quite ancient, so a long time. <laughs> And you've raised a huge amount of money to continue research into psychedelics. Yes, I do exploratory research mm. at the Beckley Foundation, which mm. I set up in 98, I think it was. Mm. Um, and so that is really, that's a charity which does exploratory work. Mm. And um, that, that's where I devote all my time. Mm. Um, and then with my sons, I set up a for-profit company because uh, charity is incredibly difficult raising funding mm. to do research. And it's especially research which can carry the compounds through regulation. Mm-hmm. That means a lot of research at a big level mm. and which costs millions. And there's sort no of double way blind the, trials and all that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. exactly. And there's no way I could do mm. that through the charity. Mm. So um, my son Cosmo runs this, this business and um, it's doing it beautifully. But that's a different end to what I... I do the initial research work. So so tell me a little bit sort of how you discovered psychedelics and how and when you thought that... Because, you know, most of us think of them as recreational drugs, mm. you know, I'll be honest. Right. So tell me sort of at what point you thought to yourself, well, maybe these could be used in a different way. And, and yes. is it very difficult trying to persuade people that you're not just a sort of sort of hippie who's who's you know, <laughs> who's right. just having fun Absolutely. with it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm quite interested to know Absolutely. all of that. Absolutely. Well, I suppose it all depends, as with everyone, on the conditioning. Mm. And I grew up in a, an amazingly beautiful but totally isolated place on the edge of a fen in a house surrounded by three moats and a long track to it. So we were very isolated. Mm. And so in childhood... I spent a lot of time kind of mooching around by myself Mm. with nothing much to do except think. And I used to quite regularly have mystical experiences from a young age, as many children Mm. do, I think. Mm. And then I was introduced to cannabis in 1965. Like most of the world. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I realized how interesting that was, how it enhanced one's awareness of music, beauty, and those sort of things. And then in, um, whenever it was, 65, mm. I was 
1965, I was introduced to LSD, mm. and I was amazed at how it expanded one's awareness mm. and, in a sense, opened up the mystical experience in reality. But I remember saying to myself or thinking, well, really, it's like a heavenly trip to a fun fair. <laughs> it's not something you can live on. No. And um, I saw that as a disadvantage. Mm. But then a year later, I met a Dutch scientist, and he had two um, theories, hypotheses. One was that its underlying mechanism mm. was an increase in blood in the brain capillaries, so that suddenly the brain capillaries had um, much more blood, so that billions more brain cells were functioning simultaneously. Mm. And that kind, that extra energy mm. underlay uh, these changes in consciousness where the control of the ego mechanism, the repressive control of the ego, was diminished and there became a much more connective... So like community. a rush of blood to the head, yes. as it were. A rush of blood to the head, as it were. Exactly. Is, is your research taking you down the line of treat, uh, using it for treating depression and things like that? Yes. Is that what you're... Uh, yeah. Well, that was, I mean, I decided when, when the doors of repression, global um, drug policy uh, forbid the use of these compounds, which I had realized were an amazing tool for health and happiness for humanity. And in 66, I decided, well, this is so vital. I'm going to dedicate my life to studying it, how it works, what are the actions, and where they can be benefits to mankind. So as I saw that, I realized that the best way to overcome this taboo, which I consider the repressive shutting down of the use of these compounds, is with the very best scientific research. Mm. So then I set about looking for doctors and scientists and journalists that I could work with. Mm -hmm. But when it became prohibited, which was 67 or mm -hmm. something, I think, in England, it became more and more difficult to even speak about them mm. Well, it had, it had well, a lot of very bad press, didn't it? That was the thing, because yes, people went bonkers exactly. with it. And it caused people yeah. a whole load of problems. And then, and then of course, it became it, this sort of very, very negative thing. Tell me one more. Yes. You're also known for Japaning, which was something that I'm told you did at about the age of 27. Tell me a little bit about that, because I am fascinated by that. I mean, yeah. quite how you do it to well, yourself well, is a mystery. It, is it painful? <laughs> is it painful? Does it hurt? <laughs> That's all we want to no, really know. Does it make a mess on um, the carpet? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 neither of those. It, it, I mean, it is not something I advocate at all. No, quite. Um, I did it because I looked for a doctor for five years to, uh, to it... do it for me and I couldn't find one. Mm. And it's part of the same kind of hypothesis of how by restoring the full systolic pressure mm. of the I brain see that, yeah. as we had in childhood, before we become adults. And did you find, what did you experience? I mean, how did it alter your... Can, can I just ask you also, sorry. what did you actually use? <laughs> to, well, sorry, I mean, it also sounds... What so, did you use? Uh, I'm dying to know. It sounds so grim and uh, yeah. ridiculous. So I actually don't really speak about it at the moment because mm. I haven't oh, been sorry. researching that. <laughs> no, but I'm happy to. And I yeah. am researching it, but it's not at the foremost of my research. Mm -hmm. um, 
because um, I actually, I studied it very carefully before I did it because, like anyone, I, I mm. was extremely nervous of drilling of a hole in this. In, you have to remember it's only the skull and yeah. the brain is surrounded by three layers of tough membrane. So, mm. But what you're doing is removing a piece of bone mm. so that the membrane can expand on the mm. heartbeat and you get the full systolic pressure back. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, I'm interested in researching it, and I still am interested in researching it, because yeah. uh, 50 years later, I actually still think it makes a difference. But I think it's a very, very subtle, slight difference, like returning your um, irrigation of the brain to the level right. pre-13, whatever that. Did, you, bit did more you feel energy. any kind of release of pressure or anything when you did it? Did it sort um, of... I felt, I remember saying, describing it as, it felt like the tide coming in. I felt it kind wow. of slightly going Gosh. up and a quietening in the brain, a quietening of Gosh. that endless chatter in the, in the brain. Mm. But then you get used to it. I think it always traditionally was used, and I've met doctors in India, very high um, neuroscientists in India in the 60s, told me, mm. well, I give my rich patients pay, um, pills and my poor ones itropan. And I said, does it Gosh. seem successful? And he said, yes, they never seem to come up back. <laughs> you know? But um, yeah. it was done, you can read in encyclopedias and things, it was done for migraines, for insanity. Yeah. For, mm. you know, well, I mean, things. insanity being possibly in those days actual depression or, yes, or you know, yes. you don't know. Yes. They, they, yes. used to, they used to think it released demons. But, of course, you know, if, you're, yes, if, you're, exactly. if, you're, if you've it, got it, mental problems, that would be how they would have interpreted absolutely. it. And it was traditionally used as letting devils out Mm. and letting light in. I think it's amazingly brave you did it to yourself, though. That's what I find extraordinary, that, that you actually had the wherewithal to do it to yourself. Well, I suppose that was interesting. It was a, a self-control. But it's no more so than skiing down a mountain or riding a horse <laughs> over a jump. Do you know what I mean? It's really not more dangerous or frightening than that. But We shall take more... your word for yes. it. We <laughs> shall take your word for it, Amanda. I, what it's I been... want to say is I'm a very anxious person and I prepared for it enormously carefully. Yes. You know, I even had two drills in case one broke down. Well, it obviously, so, it obviously didn't do you any harm. Mm, you're exactly. very, very, very exactly. compassmentous. My very um, sweet Catholic mother said, um, when people said you shouldn't kind of back Amanda and love her so much because um, it's a bad influence, and she said, well, all I can say is it seems to suit her and it's done her a lot of benefit, you know. So oh, that was that's a very lovely thing for yeah. her to say. Yeah. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Amanda. Amazing. Thank you so much. If, if, um, if listeners want to find out more, is there a website or something, yes, you know, the, modern the like web, that? The website is called beckleyfoundation.org. Yeah. That was Amanda Fielding of Beckley Foundation. Well, that was quite interesting. Very. She still didn't tell us what she used, although I she did know. say she had two drills. Two drills, so I know. I was really interested yeah. to know. I also wanted to know where, the, where it was. Right, uh, right at the front, at the top, at I the side. I think it's probably at the top, isn't it? I don't know. I don't Pressure. Know. So, Imogen Strictly. See, I love it, and I know you're going to be a cantankerous old... <laughs> 
fart and not like it. I actually hate it I more than anything. Do. I think it's moronic. I love it. I hate all of those people doing their stupid dancing, walking thing that they do where they wiggle their hips. And it's Christmas. It's not. It's it's inane. Oh, it's marvellous. Honestly, there's nothing else. What else are you going to do on a Saturday night except drink a bottle of wine? And well, that's what my husband does, and that's one strictly. of the reasons I'm divorcing him, frankly, because <laughs> I can't do as many more. No, it's fine. I understand that people think it's good, and I can see that. But I, I just, I spent, I spent most <laughs> of my daughter's I... childhood dancing the cha cha cha. Do you know what I really hate about it? What? I really hate the live band versions of popular songs. <laughs> That's what I really hate. Are you just a raging snob? That's I think I'm... so. Honestly, it just I, it comes on and the theme tune just makes my every single nerve in my mm. body just gets angry. It's got angry. some very good people on it this year, the, the handsome Greg Wise. Has it? Yes, you see he's rather dishy. Okay. But anyway, apparently, I mean, the thing is, I know that I'm wrong about this. Of course. I know. I'm, but no I'm one's totally going to change admitted. your mind, though, are they? Well, let's see. Well, they can totally well have a go, yes. can't they? Anyway, so we're going to be joined by the lovely Eleanor Sharples, who is our... TV critic and radio critic, who's going to explain to me why I'm wrong about Strictly. <laughs> Eleanor, hello. Hello. Uh, so, uh, come on, change my mind. Personally, I just think it is, I would go as far to say it's the best television <laughs> show. I just think it provides escapism for people. I think it's got something for everybody. In the fact that it kind of goes across so many age groups, I mean, you can have children like watching it, sitting around family and they're up dancing as well. And grandparents absolutely love it. And I think it's something that people just really look forward to on a Saturday night. And particularly as well, you know, it starts at the beginning of autumn. We're just about mm. to start on Saturday. And for a lot of people, it's kind of that week by week, it's that excitement getting closer to Christmas as well. So I think people think, you know, in the winter and in autumn, mm. it's a bit colder. What would I like to do on a Saturday night? You get a bit of warmth from just watching Strictly and um, the sequins and the sparkle. I think it's got a lot more to it than it just being a dancing show with a load of celebrities. You see, I think I think you've made a very good point there, which is Christmas. So mm. I also hate Christmas. <laughs> Oh, no. But it also does <laughs> Halloween very well as well. They do a Halloween special. It does. It's, it's like, it's like they, they take you through the season. It is like the 12 days of Christmas, but yeah, know, they do. over four months. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think for me it's a very pure thing. It's the ballroom element that I don't like. Is it too Blackpool for you, it's Sarah? Just, yeah, I just don't <laughs> like... I don't like... Like I was saying to Imogen earlier, I really hate the live band versions of the pop songs. Just... I feel like I'm on a cruise ship. She's just a raging old snob. <laughs> That's what she is. That's what I she is. A, I'm just a raging old snob. Yeah, you I are. really am. I just Ed I, Balls, I, come on. Yes, no, Ed, an, okay, you know, brilliant. fine. No, yes. Ed Balls was brilliant. Yes. But I, but then, but I think in those days the show was the show was slightly more original and fresh. I yeah. feel it is a little bit uh, sort of Jamie. In love, yeah, and also it's kind of kind of in love with itself. Mm. You know, when things become such a big thing that they think that you know yeah. they it, it, it become very self-referential, and I think it's a bit like that now. And I find it very hard to watch because it's it is just I think it's just quite cliche. Eleanor, she doesn't even watch it. She doesn't even I, watch. No. She's no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> she's sitting at home you doing Sudoku with her half mooners on. I am. You don't get you don't get excited for the big like reveal which they love to draw out. As no, well. I you hate big reveals. I want to throw things at the television when they have big reveals. Just tell us who's won. Stop doing all the stupid, you know, stressful music. Who cares? Eleanor, you're not going to win this, I'm Sorry. afraid. 
It's just not going to win it. She seems very set. I mean, after, especially yeah. when it's been going as long as it has done as well. It's, I know. Uh, when you've got to this point, it's it's hard to mind. Put it this way: if then... there is if there is a hell, it's just strictly on. <laughs> loop me watching strictly like in the you clockwork orange with my eyes opened by a pair of clamps and just having to watch endless episodes of strictly you're just That's a scrooge is what yeah. you're a scrooge a joyless oh, old I scrooge but i i admit it and i apologize to everybody for not liking strictly um and eleanor not I many do... people that don't mm. Mm. she's in the subset of one i think eleanor maybe yeah i think so <laughs> <laughs> oh Anyway, but I thought you did a brilliant defence of it. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant defence of it. Um, so thank you. But no, you haven't changed my mind, Eleanor. But it's lovely to talk to you. No, you you're, not, you're not watching it on Saturday? Certainly no. not. I shall just literally be... I, I will be actively doing something else that doesn't involve any sequins. <laughs> well, there's always the hit list on ITV or um, yeah. some of the other shows that they've got. Or a nice documentary. Or I'll, go and, I'll watch some very gloomy horror mm. film or something mm. like that, you know. Antiques Roadshow, that's my kind of programme. <laughs> no, genuinely, it is my kind of programme. It's, it's the only appointment to view thing that I actually watch on the telly every week. I'm always there, 8 o'clock on a Sunday night. And funnily enough, my daughter, who's 18, has also become addicted to mm. it. So we watch it together like a couple of old spinsters. I have to say I'm and very we have, keen on that and too. And we have Aperol spritzes. Oh, I say. Yeah, Ooh, that's a bit racy. Super. We have an Aperol spritz and some peanuts and we watch <laughs> Antiques Wow, Antiques has so, never been so groovy. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, thank you. Oh, thanks very much. That was the Daily Mail's TV and radio critic, Eleanor Sharples, and I'm afraid she did not change my mind about Strictly. That's true, you know, the Aperol Spritz thing. Oh no, absolutely. Antiques well, Radio. Beatrice just like, she's literally, oh, she it. rings me on, she, on a Sunday, she'll go, mm. when, when is it on? When yeah. is it on? And it's called A&R in our house. Is it? Yeah. Oh, we just, I just love it. It's just the best thing in the yeah. world. It's brilliant. Glass of wine, packet of crisps, yeah. Antiques Roadshow. Uh, nothing. Yeah. Nothing better. You are listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine, and Imogen Edwards-Jones. You can visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces, and more. And if you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. As many of us have spent the last 18 months locked in our houses, the lure of travel has never been greater. Even if you haven't managed to get away, you can still get a taste of the world beyond your sofa with the help of Bethany Hughes, whose programme, Bethany Hughes, is Treasurers of the World, has taken her to such exotic places as the world's first health spa in Greece, Prince Philip and the Queen's romantic hideaway in Malta, and what's said to be the jewel of the Ottoman Empire, Topkapi Palace in Istanbul. I'm joined now by the historian, author and presenter, Bethany Hughes. Hi, Bethany. Hi there, hi. So, Bethany, tell us about your new show. So, I love doing it. For a moment, I made myself a kind of the most unpopular person in the world because I've been to five different places and 25 different locations um, over the spring and summer of this year. So, I basically wanted to go to um, kind of extraordinary places, beautiful monuments and beautiful historical treasures, but that said something about us as well and kind of what mm. it was to be human and how we get through life i just thought that you know I'm, you're the same i'm sure that through lockdown it was so 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 hard there was there was 
it was so tragic for so many people and it was just so hard kind of thinking what's mm. the point of us and what's it all mm. about and how do we get through and actually the one benefit of being a historian is that you know you know you've got 10,000 years worth of human yeah. experience perspective of people. <laughs> yes exactly and also people who've been through really really tough times you know and yeah. what they've kind of what comfort they found in the world so we thought we'd try and do the kind of comfort comfort seeking for people and yeah basically formed a you know, formed a, a COVID-friendly bubble of me and the crew and mm. went on the road. Which, which, which places did you go to, Bethany? Which places? So so we went to uh, Istanbul and Ooh, Ischia, which is where, you know, my brilliant friends um, is filmed and mm. the sacred island of Delos in Greece and Malta and Gibraltar and the Greek mainland. So, mm-hmm. so just the kind of places which have been real sort of hotspots of human history, but that mm-hmm. are also very beautiful and have got very kind of beautiful treasures to share, basically. Mm. Mm. So a little bit like so that was a wonderful series on Radio Four Hundred. Exactly what I was, what was thinking. Hundred objects that changed the world. Hundred objects that changed the yes. world, but in a sort of travel sense. Yeah, yeah, it's history of the world in a hundred objects, wasn't it? That's yeah, the one. That was it. Well I mean, done. Yeah, because because it's almost that every every historical artifact somebody's thought about it when they made it. Somebody just decided mm. to buy it. Somebody that's been traded across the Mediterranean. It's you know mm. every tiny thing has. Mm. A story and that's you know particularly because obviously my specialism is the ancient world so mm. you're often looking at archaeology rather than historical documents so you have mm. to kind of read these things but um yeah no it's incredible so we went in Gibraltar you know to this unbelievable tunnel and cave complex which had been yeah. built by you know, Ian Fleming you know he designed by him the the creator of James Bond when he was a naval intelligence officer. He, what, he built a cave complex in Gibraltar. Yeah, so he, it was his, his idea, this thing called the, St- which was since been called the Stay Behind Cave. And it was right. an amazing intelligence operation where six British soldiers, officers, um, were selected and they were going to be walled in for up to seven years if Hitler had taken Gibraltar. And oh it was only discovered very recently. And you go, it's amazing. So there's, you know, they've got a, the bicycle there with a leather chain so they could cycle to get exercise and ventilation. <gasps> Seven years what? worth of supplies, a, a loo made in. <laughs> oh, uh, my gosh. Clapham and the water still running. And the guys were, were heading there and they'd all had their tonsils and their appendixes out. Oh, so my God. You know, they got, <laughs> in case they you know, got an infection and died. In, oh, in that's... case they got an infection. Anyway, but that's an example of just extraordinary Fascinating. resilience. Yes. And uh, yeah, so 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 there there are kind of big treasures that you'd expect, and then the more unexpected ones as well. I can I just say I'm quite jealous of your job. Yes, so am I. I know. It's amazing. Quite <laughs> an annoying job for me. I your know. job. I'm sorry, it's annoying. I'm sorry, it's annoying. And are you doing a second series, or have they have they decided to you, you've, had you've had enough, enough. that you've had enough yeah. fun? And you yeah, just... no, I'm afraid this would be really annoying. We are doing a second series. We're doing season <laughs> Good. two. Good. So, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. listen, if you need if you need a couple of old hacks to come and help you yes, with anything, carry your you bags, know, or, or carry your bags, or brush or your hair, or something. <laughs> you know, Very just welcome. Sort of polish yeah, your shoes. With Imogen and I are really up for that. Yes, I would. Yes. Um, and what ch- where, what channel is it on? To so it's on Channel Four. Um, yeah. In the evening, seven o'clock and eight o'clock. And Brilliant. Uh, this weekend is the lovely Mediterranean islands. And then next weekend we finish with like a real bang with Istanbul, which is one of my favorite oh. cities on earth. I've never been. Uh, yeah, uh, heaven. Yes. Yes. Yeah, really I... exciting. Lots, lo- 
I would love to go. Lots of kind of thrills there. So that's um, that, that's the week after this weekend. Brilliant. Well, lovely to speak to you, Bethany. Lovely to have a chat. That was Bethany Hughes, whose show Bethany Hughes' Treasure of the World is on Channel 4. We'll catch up with all the episodes on all four. Now, to finish off the show, we always chat to our favourite astrologer, Teresa Chung, and this week she's looking into Prince Andrew's ongoing legal battle in the States. So we're joined now by Teresa. Teresa, we thought, I thought, that this week we should have a chat about Prince Andrew because an awful lot's been going on in his life and this whole Virginia Giffray, I think she's called now, thing has sort of is sort of reaching ahead because they keep, mm-hmm. you know, serving him with... Uh, legal notices. Yeah. So I just thought you might have a look. What have you? What do you? What's? What does it look like? Well, ever since you you let me know about the subject, I I've never looked at Andrew's birth chart before, so mm. I've had a real analysis of that. And my goodness! And also, um, what I'd love to do is talk to you a bit about his 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 what's in the stars for him, his sign, mm. and the reason for some of the things happening. And mm. then right now in the relationships with the royal family, it's all mm. written in the stars loud and clear. And it's, it's, it's very um, sad, I think, because he's born February the 19th, uh, Pisces, the day of wanderlust. So it's all mm. about appetite for life, um, reckless, rash, doing things my way. That is the negative potential of that sign being reckless. And the life Mm. lesson of that day is to learn less is more and moderation and balance. And sadly, because of his upbringing, and I think if you are raised in the royal family, it's extremely hard to be normal, psychologically normal, because it's it's impossible. It's such such an ancient institution. Unfortunately, all his excesses have been exaggerated by the way he was raised. There is... Um, what we need to look at him is his Saturn is in mm. Capricorn and his Venus in Capricorn. Now, Capricorn's all about the father. I think at a very young age, he had some kind of mental shock or serious communication issues with the father figure, not mm. through anyone's fault, but just because of the way the royal family is. And then mm. probably became the favorite of the mother because, you know, not the pressure of being the, the prince, you know, the next mm. to the throne. But what is um, a great lesson in astrology for people listening with him is his Saturn return. It's almost textbook because every 27 to 29 years, Saturn returns to the the place it was similar to when you were born. Mm. Now, Saturn is karma. Um, and it can be a very positive thing or it can it can open up a can of worms because karma reveals so his first Saturn return was in his late 20s when he was in that Randy Andy phase. He's got his moon yeah. in Scorpio, so his sex drive tremendous. But because of his Venus in Capricorn, what this revealed is that he, he chased relationships more to impress others mm. rather than from what was really good for him. Um, but the rude awakening, of course, came in 2019, which is his second Saturn return, where it was exposed, this lack, someone in his life to caution him Mm. and give him some moderation. And, of course, Epstein, you know, an Aquarius and ad liber off the wall, totally inappropriate friendship. His, Wrong person. He's never, yeah. ever been reined in. And now Saturn is, the karma is coming now, and it doesn't look good, Sarah, for him no. or the royal family, I'm afraid. And I think that the Maxwell trial, I believe, is in November. Yeah. The stars are really complicated. I worry for the Queen. Um, because she obviously it's her son. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult. A lot of anger and frustration will be pent up. And But what I can see, I'm using my intuition here based on all yeah. the charts I look at. Looking at his progress chart, 
2022 and 2023, this is going to rumble on for both him and Victoria. And it's interesting mm. when you compare both their charts, they're kind of like locked in this toxic dance. Mm. It's almost like they were meant, they are both teaching each other something. There's going to be no resolution. It's just going to go on and on and mm. on. I think a payout um, mm. in sometime in mid-2022. But the worrying thing is for Andrew is the karma is going to hit his health physical health big time right or his mental health oh god and that okay. is what maybe will be happening sometime mid 2022 it's, yeah. it's basically it's karma and it's all about the satin and because his satin is in capricorn what he has to learn is the lessons of capricorn i personally think that you're right about the Maxwell trial. I think that might churn some stuff up a bit. Again, I think that um, I absolutely think this is not going away. That's the thing. Um, well, all the transits for the royal family mm. mid mid November to mid December is not very pretty. No. It's calmer time. Things will expose. There will be tension, mm. anger. Who's going to get the upper hand? Mm. Um, and I just think a bit of meditation and calm and focusing yeah. on the love they have for each other, which yeah, is clear. Absolutely. And, and I do think Kate Middleton and uh, Sophie, actually, looking at her chart, they're going to be psychologically grounding for the royal family. I think I think they both already are, but I think they're going to really be, we're, we're going to really see how important they are. Yes. Because those two yeah. women are very strong and very sensible, and they've both been very good. Thanks very much, yeah. Teresa. So nice <laughs> to speak to you. <laughs> and <laughs> speak you, next Sarah. week. Take care. Bye-bye. That was spiritualist and author Teresa Chung. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Westminster Wag. You've been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Image Lovers-Jones. Thanks for listening. 